Stay tuned for Two Kingdom Tuesday. Okay, Two Kingdom Tuesday, and a little bit different, I have got Chris Kahi with me. Good to have you on the show. Thanks, Mike. It's always good to talk to you. Man, have you done a Two Kingdom Tuesday with me? You know, it seems like we've talked about it before, but yeah. uh, it never hurts to to go back to this. Totally, and it flows so well over from Clyde. I mean, it is Clyde in some ways. That's, yeah. yeah, totally. One of his hallmarks. Totally. So um, one of the things that we might have done, uh, I think, I can't remember, but I know that I have had just a couple of emails uh, thrown to me just randomly. If I was more organized, I'd put these on one place and um, just kind of answer them more strategically. Uh, But things have been crazy at the moment, and uh, I'll try and start doing that. If you do have any questions for um, Chris, myself, Nick, or uh, my brother, you know, feel free to just flick that through to me or go onto the website. I'm pretty sure there's one way you can get hold of someone there. Um, and uh, if if you've already done that and I haven't uh, got back to your question, apologies for that. Um, I will just actually, as a result of this, kind of go through and do a bit of a sweep out and make sure I got everything. Um, but so we'll get there eventually. Um, but yeah, one of the things I know that was asked at some point was uh, just to just talk a little bit about two kingdom theology. I know it's something that we uh, we promote and um, we want to see kind of advocated and i think it's the correct way to understand um the bible and our engagement with culture um it's one of the it's sort of very connected with the stuff we talk about on meredith monday with um covenant theology and in fact i'd say your your uh, understanding of of a certain kind of covenant theology will affect this big time but mm-hmm. anyways um one of the things is just to maybe um go through the basics of what is two kingdom theology should we just start with that question what is two kingdom theology Chris, we've got to start somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, we could go all the way back to Augustine and his book, The City of God. So, I mean, he's wrestling with those issues there and seeing a distinction between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. Yeah. Um, the reformers, especially Luther, but uh, Calvin and the the reformed as well, see a distinction um there, although they understand it uh, in different ways. Yes. And the reason we're calling it Two Kingdom Theology uh, on this podcast episode, I really think is because of what David Van Drunen has really devoted his writing career to. Mm -hmm. And I support what he's doing. Um, I I agree with what I've read, Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm, I'm more able to talk about this in terms of what Meredith Klein did in terms of his covenant theology. Mm-hmm. And as far as I'm aware, he is fairly unique in seeing a distinct covenant based on the principle that he called common grace. Mm-hmm. And he called it common grace because uh, it there, there were gifts that God gave to humanity in spite of their sin. So they deserved punishment and judgment and in spite of that, God gave them these gifts. So he's seeing the principle of grace there, mm-hmm. but they're not. it's not saving grace. It doesn't get them into uh, the new heavens and the new earth. Mm. Um, it's just for life in this world. And so those gifts end 
when this world ends. Mm-hmm. And they're shared um, by believer and unbeliever alike. And more than that, in uh, Genesis 8 and 9, at the end of the uh, flood episode, Klein sees that God is making these promises to the entire um, creation. Mm-hmm. So it's not mm-hmm. even just people. It's everything that God has made gets to benefit from this covenant of common grace. Hmm. And so obviously everything that God created belongs to that covenant. Mm -hmm. um, But only Christians belong to the covenant of grace. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, if Klein were to use the language of the two kingdoms, which he he really didn't talk that way, but he would say Mm. that the kingdom of God is um, connected just to uh, the covenant of grace Mm -hmm. and that that will someday consummate into um, the the ultimate kingdom of God, the new heavens and the new earth. And at that point of the consummation, the covenant of common grace will end and um, it will unfortunately mean the judgment of all unbelievers. Mm -hmm. But does that... Does that help? That's great. That's a great summary. Well, yeah, so the common grace idea really sets up the basis for the kingdoms of this world or the city of man or the the way in which God would, um, you know, starting all the way from Cain, I suppose, all the way through um, all the common, common grace structures, Noah and, you know, just moving all the way through to Rome and beyond, uh, you've got God ruling um, through the magistrate, through uh, those means that he has set up, as Paul says, the, the those who bear not the sword in vain, the ministers mm-hmm. of God, but but they're not in any way connected to the kingdom of God ultimately, eschatologically, um, and yet they're no less under God. So I suppose that I've always understood that to be kind of the the big burden with two kingdom theology, and that they are they are two kingdoms, both under God, both ruled mm-hmm. by God. And in that sense, the the, the accusation against two kingdom theology is, uh, you know, I've always felt, felt to be very unfair. In that, often it's, hey, well, you know, you guys are, you know, you, you, you're divorcing sacred from secular and seeing, uh, uh, you know, you're sort of limiting God's power only to the church, and you know, not seeing Him, uh, you know, wanting to have His sovereign stamp over all of creation. I mean, that's all like you know, completely irrelevant, really, if you understand uh, what you've just said and really um, uh, the the way it's been developed, um, certainly in Van Drunen, but I'd say even before that as well, you've got this, um, you've got this uh, reality of God's sovereignty and as, as the creator, uh, he owns it all, it is all his. It's really just a matter of how he wanted to work it out. And, um, yes. And the whole um, one of the I know Horton always uses this uh, metaphor, and I love it. Um, they t- he talks about a um, the, the common grace being a, a kind of stage, um, a, a world stage upon which the drama of redemption could work itself out, and uh, the, the obviously the covenant of grace being uh, in that drama of redemption. Um, but you know, God is in the stage of world history. You know, He is. Um, He's uh, moving everything all the time and, and, you know, bringing things to their apex and fulfillment when Christ came. Um, and you see that. And it's just amazing to, to understand that. And yet also very, very helpful to, to see that, uh, yeah, as you just said, the scaffolding kind of falls away at the end, the, the, um, the, per, the impermanent common grace 
ideas will not be the thing that ultimately matter. And and I think where that really comes to play and why come, why two kingdom theology is helpful for uh, the church is in that it starts to it really uh, elucidates the mission and um and it helps us understand what it is that we're meant to be doing right now you know i think that's where it gets if it's a one kingdom theology then uh you know the church is really on the back foot we were on our prime time when when rome was you know at its heyday and uh (laughs) and you know finally we were getting somewhere you know uh we had half of the the known world under our power and uh we blew it you know but that's obviously you know we we don't want that is the point uh we're not understanding the, 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 the God's to, to work that way. And uh, maybe one of the things that just comes to mind as well that drives it for me, I think from the get-go, this has been very important to me, um, that whole understanding of you know, Jesus himself um, saying to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm-hmm. If it were, my servants would fight. And you know, really just at that point, you know, making sure that we don't fall into thinking of uh, of uh, falling into a one kingdom theolo- uh, theology, which is really what the disciples were gunning for at that point. Um, it's what the theocracy was all about. You know, there is no distinction between kingdom and culture or cult and culture. Um, you know, in a theocracy, everything is just kind of under this one banner. That's that's a one kingdom theology, I would say. Um, yes. Sure, God has used that. That was present in the garden. That was present in... in um, in Israel during the Mosaic Covenant, this unique theocracy that was happening, uh, that will be present when Christ returns. There'll be one kingdom, as it were. Um, but, yeah, to, to conflate that with now or to confuse those times with a time of two kingdoms um, uh, it would be a disaster. Well, it has shown itself to be a disaster. Um, Absolutely. So those are just some thoughts that pop randomly into mind. Um, yeah. And yeah. And, if you don't mind if I go back in the conversation a little bit, because yeah. I'm really sensitive to that um, accusation that we're saying that uh, the the world and the kingdoms of this world are autonomous and that they're not under God. And, you know, uh, I one of the things I want to say is look at whose covenant it is. Yeah. I mean, the the world in Genesis 8 and 9 was not making this covenant with God. It's the covenant that God makes with um, believer and unbeliever and the rest of creation. So, I mean, just by that fact alone, you see that it's under God. Yeah. He's ordering things the way he wants to do it. Yeah. And uh, we need to be satisfied with that. Yeah, totally. That's great. Was it Klein in in Kingdom Prologue who talked about the pilgrim principle and the theocratic principle? Where did that come from? Was that was that Foss or Klein? I think I think that was Kingdom Prologue. Yeah, it was Kingdom Prologue. Cool. Um, Where yeah, you've got basically this idea of of um, you know just understanding that you know when you return to the land fine um you know as israel theocracy is on or you know if they're entering the land for the first time that's all it, it turns into this theocratic land principle idea where you know you you kill the enemies you smash the teeth of the wicked you're praying like the theocratic king you know all of those those kinds of things are happening but um you know if you're not in that geographic real estate um if you're not or you know not in that sanctioned time of theocracy um at the end of the day 
um, you know, there is another principle involved. And, and this is obviously very relevant for us because we know we don't have the land right now. And uh, not only that, but there is no, you know, we're not dispensational. There's no promise of, of sort of Israel in the future. There's nothing. It's um, Jesus coming back is the next time the land happens. So it just makes it an incredibly relevant thing to to, to be able to not only understand that, but look back in, in Scripture and see where that principle has been um applied or how how the covenant community has lived in the world um sometimes in really yes. adverse situations i mean it's starting right at the beginning you've you've again you got noah you know in the sethite community just getting pummeled by the by the canine dynasty at that point couldn't have been very pleasant you know to live in that in that time and yet that's what they were called to do to sort of bear witness in the amongst the 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 canine uh, city and um and then that just carries on. You've got, you know, that same idea with, with Abraham all the way through. And then, of course, uh, you, you jump over the theocracy bit and you get to Daniel and, um, and uh, Babylon and then, and then um, you know, all the way through to the New Testament. And even the way that the New Testament talks about us as exiles and sojourners, you know, it, it puts us there together with, with the patriarchs and with the exiles. And uh, all of a sudden, it just a, a, again, it. I mean, this has every bearing on everything. You know, it's just because it's it's really, you know, that that famous question: how sh- how then shall we live? <laughs> it's mm-hmm. really. I mean, this is really the question we're answering. Um, in light of those truths, in light of the fact that Christ has come, in light of the fact that He has promised a full glorious reign in light of these eschatological truths that we hold to how then shall we live i mean are we do we pick up our swords and fight do we uh do we run into war like you know like caleb and joshua uh, as those uh, who were commissioned to do so um and even if we won't go that extreme i mean how will we approach the subject of of public engagement with the gospel you know is this going to be something that uh we force down people's throats is this going to be something that we uh do you know in, in respect of people's conscience um uh, how do we collaborate with unbelievers as we go about the task of, of doing things that will benefit an entire society? I mean, can we do that, or are we to withdraw and be like the Amish, you know? Uh, or, I mean, just for, for me, I think it's just one of the most, I mean, pastoral, practical, missional, personal questions mm. you could ever answer for yourself. And so t- Two Kingdom Theology touches all of that. Um, it is a way to... At very minimum, untangle the 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 Christ and culture question, and um, but more than that, it's a way to just understand God's sovereignty in all of life, um, and what that means for all of life. I suppose, um, mm. yeah. I mean, you know, so you know, again, hopefully that is um, something that that uh, just helps you a little bit if you have asked that that question before, or you've heard us talk about it, or you think you have some sort of idea. Again, I know I kind of sound like a stuck record. Maybe I should call this uh, Horton Tuesday. <laughs> so, you know, I need I need a guy with a, uh, a T. <laughs> you know, Van Drew Tuesday is not going to work. But uh, <laughs> we got Meredith Monday. We need a Tuesday guy who's two kingdom. But but basically, Horton's usually my go-to guy on this stuff. And um, you know, he a, a book that I've can't stop recommending just on this issue is where in the world is the church um, yes. and then he's written a counterpart gospel commission uh, book um, but really at the end of the day 
Horton, I think, is does a great job in his systematic theology of weaving this through with other doctrines as well, in that he shows the place of the sacrament and how this affects ecclesiology and, you know, how does Christ then rule through his church? What's the gig there? And, you know, what does that look like effectively? And how does Christ rule through, um, you know, through um, all the kingdoms of this world? And what will that look like? And what happens when things go wrong? And, you know, um, all of those questions get answered in, in more detail. So, I, again, I'll recommend uh, The Christian Faith or Pilgrim Theology that, that Horton wrote. Uh, it does just a fantastic job in bringing that together. Um, but, yeah, hopefully uh, that's at least helpful to get you going. Um, any other thoughts before we close out on that, Chris? I'll try to make this brief, but hmm. um, Klein would see three broad institutions belonging to the covenant of common grace, the family, the state, and culture. Oh, yeah. Wow. Cool. That's and a good that point. Those, those things are good. Um, they're not, so we should participate in those things. Yes. They're not uh, unholy, but they are non-holy. Yeah. And um, so that, that means that you're free as a Christian to participate in those things, but we shouldn't try to uh, baptize them and make them part of the the covenant of grace. Only the church is the church is the unique institution of the covenant of grace. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's a great point. And you know, one of the things that's so freeing about that is that you you can um, you can you don't have to feel bad about thinking of a, a certain thing as good. Um, I, I know the the example Horton always uses is that if there is. Um, you know, you're a citizen in this world. It's it's a true thing. It's you know, we, as Christians, don't all of a sudden go gnostic on ourselves or deny that we live in this real world and that it has a a legitimate outworking and expression at this point. Uh, we are. Uh, citizens in this world, although, albeit as Klein says, tolerated citizens, uh, tolerated sojourners, uh, we, we there is a just some there's a uh, a sense of patience that is required. Things are not going to be you know ideal, but at the same time, um, the it, it's just very very helpful to know that as a Christian, I could join even with a non-Christian um, on a good matter pertaining to my citizenship. Mm-hmm. knowing that God has ordained that, whether he acknowledges it or not, and that me being involved in that at that level with that mindset is, is a good thing. Um, and, you know, I, I find that that point on its own, right, uh, and, you know, the same applies for family or whatever it is, um, you know, whatever sphere we're thinking about, but, but the, the, that point on its own is just completely neglected today. I mean, if, if we've spoken about this, the issue of um, theonomy a lot, and we've spoken about monocovenantalism, and certainly all those things play in. But there's just also this folk theology out there. Um, maybe like a, maybe it's sort of a Kuyperian spin-off thing. But, mm. but but it's almost like just for me, it sounds like people just got caught up somehow in a catchphrase. Maybe just the remnant of Francis Schaeffer's stuff. I don't know. Um, mm. Where where you know, hey, all of life is just under the rule of God, and we need to get out there in the public. And, and there's almost like a a, a very a, a strong edge of fundamentalism, which refuses to give the unbeliever his space in the world. You know, um, right? A, a, and yet, uh, uh, although not not 
going into full-scale theonomy, a, a desire to almost want to take those principles of theonomy as we push the gospel out. I've seen that a lot, and maybe this comes across mostly in sort of your generic evangelical church. The picture I have in mind is your classic sort of standard evangelical church where one of the guys is just crazy into apologetics and has no theological framework for it, and you know, mm. and it's just it's going gung ho, and and um, and and yeah, it just it ends up with a bit of a hard edge about it, and um, you know, it, it creates a hyper fundamentalism thing, uh, which is uh, something I want to stay away from, and I don't think it's it's helpful. Um, so yeah, that that sort of thing just helps you to uh, live in the world, I suppose. And, and again, you know, what one of the book I, books I really wish I could recommend more. I've sort of eased off on this because um, the author is kind of going completely rogue. And um, I don't want to throw anyone off, but um, where in, uh, not where in the world is the church, but um, Dual Citizens by Jason Stillman was mm. really one of the best pastoral applications of, you know, uh, the doctrine of two kingdoms that I've, I've ever read. Mm. And so I don't think you can even buy it now. I'm not sure. But, um, you know, it, it, what I'm saying is, is uh, yeah, I think I think what Klein has put forward there, and and what what's getting taken uh, articulated by the those guys who are working with his base material on the scriptures, um, is just incredibly helpful for so, probably solving a lot of issues that you don't even realize you have if you've never heard of two kingdom theology, and um, and it'll at least get you thinking about stuff if you haven't ever. Um, looked at that before. So, yeah, I mean, look, if you want to intro to Two Kingdoms, we would send you to Van Drunen, would we? Is that is that the... I mean, I read that book. I really wasn't overwhelmed with it. You know, living in God's Two Kingdoms, it was okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I, I was having a bad week or something. I mean, it's definitely good. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just, I don't know, I just felt like it didn't really have that mesmerizing feel that I felt like Stellman's book had. Um, yeah. I don't know. Anything else come to mind, Chris? Uh, you don't touch it in Tale of Two Adams, do you? Well, uh, it's funny. You should mention that. Oh. Um, <laughs> there is a chapter on uh, the covenant of common grace, and immediately after that is the chapter on the covenant of grace. So right. if you read those back to back, you do get a good sense of, um, I-, I think, how to live in this world. And... Um, Maybe just to say something on the covenant of grace side of this, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I guess if you're tempted by theonomy or um, neo-Kyperianism or something like that, you can want to flex your muscles and be the power that makes the change in this world. Mm-hmm. But um, I would rather side with uh, the Apostle Paul and what he talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that um, the gospel is foolishness. Mm-hmm. to those who are perishing and yet it's the power of god to save people yeah yeah and, and the only the only institution that has been tasked with proclaiming the gospel to the world is the church oh beautiful yeah yeah this is all very relevant too in um well look x29 and that sort of thing we've got uh the whole work church deal and you know intersectionality and oh my goodness it all is just going crazy it seems mostly mm. from the states and, and a kind of unique context but it's just affecting everyone as the states always does um <laughs> so you're welcome you know, yeah <laughs> appreciate that yeah it's just kind of there was this one thing new zealand was able to do at one point we, we were pushing out some serious liberalism at one point that was the only <laughs> way we affected the world uh and 
and, oh, and there was a little de- a moment in the sun with um, our emerging church stuff. Like we, oh. uh, yeah, we had some amazing emerging church uh, liberal rehash stuff. But other than that, man, it's all you guys. And so anyways, uh, yeah, all of that stuff, I think, has direct bearing, or at least uh, Two Kingdom Theology has direct bearing on how to untangle that and proceed with that. And mm. I think if you don't ha- have a clear understanding of what's going on with uh, God's two kingdoms and the way that it works out. And, and yeah, very much what you said in terms of the covenant of grace side. I mean, we're talking about mission there. We're talking about exactly what the church has to do and what it doesn't have to, has to uh, what it doesn't do as an institution. As an organism, as, as Horton puts it, I mean, we're out there as salt and light and it's a little bit more malleable and flexible in that we're all in our own various spheres doing our own thing as Christians. But, mm-hmm. you know, as a church, task to do something what is that thing and uh you can see if you get that wrong that's um well we've got it wrong haven't we in history i mean that's we've seen it time and time again so this is the doctrine that will keep that from happening in my opinion and um and so again hopefully that's enough to just trump it up but what i was going to say also is um i wouldn't necessarily uh recommend uh this book um but it is it is helpful in just giving you Maybe some of the, a bit of back and forth on this. I know for me, I always read the easiest or learn the quickest when I'm sort of reading the opposing viewpoint. I just don't know why that is about me, but um, it just gets me interested. And then I sort of jump into, you know, what people have said about it. And it just sort of creates this dialogue for me. And um, and so one of the books that maybe could do that for you is uh, a book written by John Frame called uh, The Escondido Theology, A Reformed Response to Two Kingdom Theology, um, where he basically slams Two Kingdom Theology as hard as he can um, uh, at, right throughout the book. And the whole thing is just he summarizes even beyond Two Kingdoms, how this takes effect practically in in, uh, in the teaching of Klein and, and uh, Westminster uh, West in general. And uh, anyway, so what's helpful about reading that is you kind of get you get where uh, you'll get what people have as a problem with it. And, you know, either that'll be helpful or, or not to you. But you'll also see kind of, I think for me, what it did is show me how important it is to stand ground on this. Because if Frame gets his way, I mean, we're going to go straight back to all sorts of trouble. And so, um, you know, maybe we'll say some more about that in uh, in episodes to come. I do want to kind of dig into that book. It might be it might be a helpful dialogue mm. to to sort of keep going on the podcast as well. I'll give you the fodder there as we turn through those chapters. And uh, it's good because he, Frame actually, in a in a weird kind of way, helpfully summarizes all the things that you want to stand for you know although he's shooting against <laughs> it he sort of it reminds me a little bit of the 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 whole the 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 uh, tulip acronym you know <laughs> in that we didn't really mm-hmm. have one until the remonstrance came along and sort of you know uh forced us to 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 come up with these points and so i i, th- I feel like that's kind of what frame is doing in that uh yeah it was it was just a great theology until frame came along now it's like we've got we got we, I I'm seeing an acronym coming along you know <laughs> and uh and we'll figure out what that is but hopefully we can talk about that in the in the future podcast uh, that'd yeah. be great yeah totally cool well hey thanks a million chris appreciate your time i know it's late there now and um uh thanks a million again for for joining us thank you mike it's always great to be on the show <laughs>